This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 119. And we are glad to have you joining us again. Michael, how's life, my friend? Life is uh, life's pretty good. Um, the days are getting shorter, which is... And they're getting longer here. Yeah. Oh, Lord, I'm so excited. It's, I mean, it's, they're getting shorter, obviously, because we're coming into winter now, but they're also getting shorter because things are so busy at work. So there's lots on and the, the hours and, and the, everything just blends. And so I'm losing time. But, um, are you guys back at the office now? Uh, I think from the 1st of June, they've said that we can, but at the same time work has, you know, we've all been working really well as a company and and leadership has seen that we can work really well. So there's going to be some changes into the future where, you know, we're going to look at having more people working from home more often, which is a really positive thing. You know, it's not like the business is looking to rush us all back to the office and things like that. So it's going to be, we're always a really flexible business, but it's going to be you know, even more flexible now where we're going to be able to have people working from home more often, which is good for people that have longer commutes and things like that. And we're going to want to, you know, still have people in the office on specific days because, you know, you want to have face-to-face meetings and things like that. So usually Mondays are my day where I just bunch all my meetings up so I don't have to waste any more days of my week as much as possible. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but yeah, it'll be good to at least have the option. I, I just went to the office on Wednesday and, and, brought my iMac home so that I can start using it here. So nice. I'll probably l- yeah. leave my iMac here and then and then take my work MacBook backwards and forwards when I do end up going into the office. So yeah, it's, oh, that's nice. it's yeah. good. Make your home office your primary office. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, it is, I do think uh, it's a uh, massive positive outcome, like you said, yeah. kind of out of this whole thing. It's like a lot of companies are considering remote a real possibility that mm-hmm. otherwise wouldn't have considered it just because they were kind of forced to do so and they're like you know what this isn't so bad it's kind of like uh when you're learning to swim and your uncle your weird uncle pushes you you or something yeah Yeah, and you're like oh you can swim oh okay this isn't that bad yeah you know but uh it'll be interesting to see and i i actually also heard somebody say i'm you know how do you actually measure this but they said uh this has pushed remote work forward like five years you know all the apps that have been involved in like remote work have had to like iterate really quickly because people need badly so it's been it's been uh an interesting time uh necessity is the mother of, of invention yeah definitely so seems some cool innovations come out of uh come out of this stuff so that's that's always good well hey we have got a short show uh it's gonna be a quick one just kidding damn it Jake. <laughs> said don't say that again last time last time i said every that, time it was like every really time late you say and that. I, I was it was the day before mother's day and we were all exhausted and it was like okay we're gonna make this quick and it was like 50 minutes later mm. so um no promises yeah. no promises but we're gonna try and we're gonna try and jump right i remember i so, remember that day you were you had been lifting heavy things and i just had some yard work done here and you said gee how it looks so how, nice how, how have you been going with that like you know, lifting uh, all of those pavers. I'm like, no, I'm not a yeah, schmuck. Like, I paid I'm, someone. I'm, I'm not schmuck. <laughs> it took them three days to take out all of the weeds, all of the dirt, you know, just ditch it, bring the new the new base in, put the paver. It took them three days. It would have taken me three months. I still yeah. would have been working on it. Right, exactly. You're totally right. Yeah, I know. And the stupid thing is like, I did more of that stuff today. Like, what am I thinking? Why am I still doing this? You know what? I mean, like, there's a certain part of me that does enjoy it. Like, 
I get a sick satisfaction, I guess, out of like looking at all the hard work I did and be like, I did that. Like yeah. there is a satisfaction to that, I feel like. But I get it. Like I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Like there are some projects that are just there there are things around my house that are too large to take on. But like today it was I dug a uh, a lilac bush out. It was a pain in the butt. Uh, I literally like had to rip, take all the rocks back and like rip it out. Yeah, and, the the, and then the roots, roots. Yeah, the roots go forever. Yeah. T- yeah. Here's a here's a tip for everyone. My my father taught me this. If you're ever cutting something out like that, you must have a sawzall and a pruning blade. You just you just go down in the dirt with the thing, man, yeah. and just start hacking around, Hack and you'll get something. Yep. Just make sure you uh, know that there's no like water. Pipes, pipes or anything yeah, I've been there. first yeah, yeah. That'd, that'd be bad that'd be bad the extent of my handyman is uh i painted the the new nursery last weekend and i went and put some floating shelves on the wall today and that's it that's as far as i go which here's what i'll say there is an art to painting like there's good painters and there's bad painters mm. and i looked at your edge lines your edge lines look pretty good yeah you know you look pretty good sloppy painters just go right up up on the ceiling and it's like you know you can tell you yeah, can tell well, people who care we just took the masking the, the the masking tape off yesterday so that's why their edge lines look so crisp <laughs> hey that counts that counts that's how you do I it mean, and then the those those floating shelves like those are no small yeah. task to hang level yeah and we you found know, that's the, like a pain the, you had like the walls six bowed. Them. yeah the walls the wall is actually bowed so a couple of the shelves were a bit the the screws that hold the shelf into the the bracket. They're yeah. like on yeah. a very acute angle, but they're in there, so oh gosh, ain't gonna go anywhere. It looks good. I, I saw it just before the show. It looks really nice. Yeah, well done. Thank you. Well done. Well, hey, speaking of updates, we've got some. We do, and so we're gonna start with the releases. So we're gonna start with seven dot eleven. So this was released uh, May fourteenth is when Paul wrote about this, which was my birthday. Thanks, Paul, for wishing me happy birthday. Happy really birthday! Actually, I think he might have he might have, which was really kind of him. Okay, so they released version seven point eleven with support for email Unicode validation, a split stringable method, two or where in raw query build methods, and the latest updates to the seven x branch. So let's first talk about the support for filter flag email Unicode. Uh, Unicode, not Unicorn. <laughs> so at MPYW, which is his Twitter handle, I'm guessing. Let me double check. No, it's his GitHub handle, MPYW. You know what? I'm just going to give him a quick shout out here. Who is it? What's his name? It is Bellface, Ryosuke. It says Bellface, comma, Inc. I promise I'm not trying to be weird. That's what it says. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so this is a uh, useful to allow Unicone, Unicode. Oh my gosh, that's the second time, dude. Second time, I almost said unicorn twice. I'm saying Unicone instead of Unicode. Something Come on, on the brain. Me. Something on the brain. Yeah. So this is useful to allow Unicode in the local part of the email, but not the domain part. Uh, so the way that you do it is you request a validate. This is just a new validator method, and you just have instead of saying specifically just email, you say email email colon filter Unicode. Uh, so it allows Unicode in the in the front part, not in the domain part. So that's uh, that's the change there. There's also this split method that has been added to the stringable class. Now, you and I were talking about this just before mm-hmm. the show. Typically, the way that I've typically used string helpers in the past is just to do str colon colon contains, mm-hmm. and then I pass in my string, and then I pass in the arguments or whatever it is, right? The needle, the haystack, whatever it might be, right? And what we were talking about is we've had a couple mentions of this stringable class in the last couple episodes. Mm-hmm. And I remember Taylor talking about it on Laracon online uh, when he was talking about seven being released in the yeah. stringable class. So basically what this is for any of those, for any uh, of you out there who, who missed this kind of like I did, this new stringable class, you can either new this up or you can use the uh, string facade and just say string colon colon of mm-hmm. and then pass in the string that you want. 
uh, that will create a new stringable class. And then what you have is you have these uh, fluent string methods, essentially, yeah. right? So it will you will call something and then you can chain on another and another and another and another instead of having to stack them all together or nest them yeah. together. Or you use just temporary take a fluent variables. String. Or use temporary variables, yeah. So to get away from that, what Taylor created was a stringable class, which is really handy, uh, very cool. And uh, I like it a lot. So anyway, this new split uh, method allows a preg split by regex instead of by explode. So uh, what we used to be used in the background was just a simple explode where, you know, you pass in a string, you pass in the like, delimiter and it explodes on that thing. But now what you can do is you can actually pass a regular expression uh, in that split method. And so now it basically proxies over to the preg split and then splits uh, that way. So Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, we also have or where in raw uh, clause for integers. So this was contributed. There is or where integer in raw and or when, where integer not in raw query builder methods for the or where in raw conditions. It's exactly like what it sounds like. It's You could just read it or where integer in raw or where integer not in raw. That's what it does, right? Pretty simple. Uh, if you'd like code examples, you can find those in the show notes or in the blog post as well. Mm -hmm. I was looking. I didn't see anything else that looked really interesting other than a couple fixes. But again, you can catch those in the blog post as well. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Paul Redmond, everyone's favorite human. I haven't said that in a while. But Paul, you are. We love you. Okay. 7.12. What do we got? 7.12 is released with a new trust host middleware along with the latest updates to the 7.x branch. So Taylor Otwell contributed a new trust host middleware which configures a, which allows you to configure a whitelist of trusted hosts in the Illuminate request object. By default, the HTTP foundation configuration is an empty array, so this middleware will help you lock down the host your application will recognize. Settings out of the box for Laravel is all subdomains on the configured app.url. So if you were on a laravel.test domain, Laravel.test and anything that is a subdomain of that. So if you had jake.laravel.test and michael.laravel.test, they would all be recognized by the application. As of Laravel 7, this middleware is opt-in. So you can either uncomment it in a new app if you do a new Laravel new or add the following once you upgrade to 7.12, which is to add a protected middleware that is the app HTTP middleware trust host class. The bulk of the logic comes from the base middleware class in the framework and the Laravel app has an accompanying trust host middleware that extends the framework and you are free, of course, to customize and override the base middleware host logic. Uh, we've also got this. I'm not sure. I, so I'm not actually positive I understand this. So is this basically saying, so typically you would say, hey, I'm going to have my app.com or something, right? And so what it's saying is by default, it will trust any traffic that's coming from myapp.com or hello.myapp.com or subdomain.myapp.com. But you can restrict that or, or typically it's just wide open, right? It just says, hey, I don't care where the traffic is coming from. If it's pointing to me, I'll handle it, yeah. right? And so essentially what this is saying is, well, in addition to just having traffic routed here, you can in this middleware say you must be coming from this location you must be coming from this domain just kind of like in an extra layer yeah i guess yes right okay yeah so i mean you know and host is one level of protection you can you know you can just set a host header in a http request so it gives you some level of protection but you're obviously still going to want to do things like api keys and and uh, use your right, csrf right. tokens and things like that to give you the the multiple layers of protection is your application, but the trust host should 
at least limit some of the external things from posting to your app if they, if you don't want things to be posting to your app. Yeah, I'll be interested to look at like the PR for that and kind of see what the discussion was around that. Just kind of see the context around what the what the need was for that. Taylor doesn't really push in stuff that he doesn't have a specific yeah. need for, obviously. So I'm just curious what his use case is. It, it, it's always interesting kind of like glean some info mm-hmm. off of those pull requests. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Move on. I have a question about the next one too. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to be... I'll you you <laughs> ask these questions like you just hope that I'm going to have an answer to them, and most of it is just me. We talked about this. Before. Well, what did you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Go ahead. This say is it. the the Live Everyone News podcast where we read the news, articles, tutorials, and BS our way through the rest. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, I know, but like I gain I gain a lot of help from this, and hopefully, while I'm gaining some help, you know, other people out there typically like. There's no such thing as a dumb question that's not actually true. But like, if I have a question, it's probably likely that somebody else has the same question. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind being the I don't mind being the dummy for everybody. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing we okay, have here is the ability the ability to skip middleware in resource routes. This was contributed by Sebastian Nicolau and is the ability to skip middleware from recess resource routes. Uh, there's an example from the pull request, and that's about all we've got to go by. But say that you have a um, a route middleware that is within a a group. So you've got route middleware auth comma verified on group, and then within that you have a resource, um, and you want to omit on that specific resource within the group a particular middleware. You can just tack on the without middleware function as a fluent call, and say, for example, without middleware verified. And then within the context of that route group, the verified middleware would not be required or would not be applied to that resource route. I'm guessing that like typically this without middleware also exists for just regular routes. Like I'm, I'm guessing his pull request just added it for the resource, I right? Route think call, call so, resource. yeah. This is literally what I was looking for like last night at one o'clock in the morning. So uh, we've had this problem with, we have these Twilio webhooks that are coming in for incoming messages. Mm-hmm. So if we send a message to somebody and then they send a reply, we get a webhook from Twilio. And the first thing that we do is we validate the payload. And we say, did this actually come from Twilio? So we use our uh, Twilio key. Uh, we use the URL that they're sending it to. And then we use the payload of all the, you know, the post mm-hmm. payload that they send to us. We pass that into a, a request validator that they provide with their SDK. And we validate it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like every once in a while, like every 25th, it would just fail. It, would just, it wouldn't validate. And I'm like, what the heck is happening? And so I figured like maybe they, you know, they're load balanced, of course. Like maybe they just have a server that's like out there that missed an ENV update. I have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. So I messaged their support team. And he said, by chance, are you using Laravel? I was like, yes. And he said, uh, trim strings middleware turned on? I'm like, yes. He's like, okay, there's white space at the end of their replies. <laughs> so they're saying, hello, space. And you're trimming that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then trying to validate that payload. And it's not the same. Huh. So that's why it's failing. So what I had to do is like the trim middleware and they turn empty strings into null are global middlewares. Mm-hmm. They're at the very yeah. top level. Yep. So you have to like convert them. If you want to, if you want to not put them on there, you have to convert them to like route level, level middlewares. You can't exclude global middlewares, I don't yeah. believe. That was the challenge I was trying to solve last night because I really like keeping them in there in that global middleware mm-hmm. level, but you can't exclude them then, which really sucks. Yeah. But Well, now you can use this is. without middleware. And uh, there we go. That's done. what I needed. So there we there we go. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Well, that is everything that we've got that is of note in seven dot twelve. We had seven dot ten was a really big release, and and we have those every now and then where 
the community somehow bands together and gives us something massive every now and then and then goes back to just bug fixes and, and smaller things. So that's it for the releases in this episode. Yep. Okay, so we've got... Some news for you now. So if you have not yet had a chance to check out the Laravel podcast hosted by our very good friend, Mr. Matt Stauffer, uh, you should definitely do so. And the news that we're sharing with you is that Laravel podcast season four is now on YouTube. So it's already started publishing new episodes. I think there's four out now. Uh, so this fact that it's on YouTube now allows you to airplay episodes. You can have comments and all the other benefits that come with having it on YouTube, like being able to play it on your Google Home, mm-hmm. uh, which is also nice. So the first episode was with Taylor. I wanted to give a quick look and see what the other ones were. There was uh, actually there's only been. Wow. Is there only one? No, there's more than possible. that. It's definitely no, more than that. I'm looking. I'm looking right now. There's only two on YouTube. Maybe there's. Yeah, there's only two. On, there's there's more, only two on YouTube. Okay, there's only two. <laughs> okay. Thank you. There's only two on YouTube. I was going to say, I know the, I know for a fact there's more podcasts mm-hmm. than that because I've... I've so, yeah, there's four epi- um, well, there's three episodes plus plus the, the trailer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So anyway, there's only the, the first one on uh, YouTube right now, but I'm sure the other ones will be coming mm-hmm. quickly behind. So there we go. Okay, we also have Pest PHP. Ooh. Why don't you take that last news item and then the first tutorial item? Sure. I think you might have something to say about this. <laughs> So PestPHP is a it is an elegant testing framework produced by our friend Nuno Maduro and Nuno, Nuno he's a he's a console legend he's been around the uh, the Laravel framework for quite some time if you're not familiar with him specifically I'm sure you've all seen those gorgeous error messages exception output in your artisan console commands that give you a a nice colorized snapshot of where you had an error. Indeed. And that's provided by Nuno's collision package. So he jumped aboard the sponsorware train in order to get 75 sponsors on GitHub, which he achieved. And that unlocked PestPHP for everyone. So this is a, a, it's an elegant testing framework for PHP. It is built on top of PHP unit and it allows you to really simplify your PHP unit based test. So where in PHP unit, you've got to have a class and you've got a namespace, everything, and you've got to have all of this extraneous boilerplate. Pest is really quite similar to just in the JavaScript environment where you can have just a, a function called it and have and have like a string as the name of your test. So it has a welcome page. It's got the ability to call tests with higher order proxies. So you can go it has a welcome page, arrow get slash arrow assert C elegance or Laravel or whatever. But it also uses closures to then give you access to the rest of the underlying test case. So it trims down a whole bunch of boilerplate from your test. You don't need to use, you know, the at test PHP doc block for any of your test names. You don't have to have like test as the prefix of the test. And and we converted all of the tests from uh, then ping me across to use PEST a couple of weeks ago. I've been playing around with the PEST for a little while there. And it took me about 45 minutes in in including learning how to use PEST. So... Um, it's a really nice, elegant framework. As I said, it keeps things nice and clean and, and it gives you some nice shortcuts and some extra um, utilities. So it works really well with Laravel, obviously, uh, but it is a PHP agnostic framework. You can use it for Symfony. You can use it for vanilla PHP. You can use it wherever you're using PHP. So definitely check that out. Come- and, and PHP unit, right? I mean, this yeah. PHP unit is a prereq. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't work with... Just yeah, it's it's a it's an add-on on top of PHP. Yeah, unit. so if you install Pest, it'll install PHP Unit um, as a dependency. You need to be running at least PHP Unit version nine, and you need to use Collision version five. But other than that, 
everything everything works really nicely and easily with Laravel. And and as I said, converting between the uh, the PHP unit default syntax and the pest syntax is is pretty easy, and it just makes things much cleaner and much simpler. The output is really really nice as well. Uh, just like somebody who could show me how to convert it, though. Like, is there any like somebody could just like show me how to do that? Like, I just almost like a screencast or something. Screencast series. Imagine that. Imagine. Oh. I because I've been playing around with this for a little while. I had a chance on Wednesday this week to record a thirteen part series introducing pest. It's a screencast series. Bye bye, Michael Dorinda. Bye bye, Michael Dorinda. <laughs> Um, the title, the title on the blog post is a little bit messed up. So we've been, it's a little joke mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. It's screens test series, <laughs> screencast series. Bye bye, Michael Dorinda. Yeah. So there you go. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Yeah, as I said, it's a it's a thirteen part series that is on YouTube. It's free for anyone to to view and uh, and see how I go about screencasting and and get a good introduction into PEST. So we talk about you know what PEST is itself, getting started, writing tests, the high order test that I mentioned working with the underlying PHP unit class, assertions, custom helpers, exceptions, errors, grouping tests, skipping tests, um, data sets and data providers. And it's even got out-of-the-box support for providing code coverage of your um, application test. So if that's something that you're interested in, you know, some people learn by reading and some people learn by watching and some people learn by doing. So trying to provide all those avenues for you. Um, it was fun to throw something together and... It, I was I was surprised that I actually managed to stick to it because I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, said, well, we're going to launch PEST tomorrow. I'm like, all right, well, I will have this ready for tomorrow. So how? How did you do that in one day? Jeez. Uh, I, I think I recorded about 45 minutes of video in, in two sessions and uh, yeah, and edited it down. It took me, obviously, it took me longer to edit it than it took me to record it. But the, most of it was, was pretty simple, uh, pretty straightforward. I just use the the documentation which is which is a good you know set of um guidance in order to to record it and then i just opened up vim and off i went nice yeah looks good man thank you looks really good nice job you get to use that uh sort of recording stuff you've got now set up yeah. your nice office the the new lights all that good stuff put it all, all to good use <laughs> absolutely i'm sure that makes Ree very happy know that that money is not going to waste <laughs> <laughs> she was asleep she didn't care <laughs> no no worries no worries uh the next thing up on the list is a tutorial for pushing uh laravel apps for free with github actions so teams have a lot of options nowadays so you have ploy or you have Fo- forge uh these provision servers for you and configure push deploys deal with backups and lots of other things uh, you can also use things like heroku you could use vapor right these are all uh, have push deploys included however configuring servers is something that you're used to, you might be interested only in the push to deploy part of these services, right? So you don't need Forge to, to uh, deploy a server for you or to configure a server for you, et cetera, right? So you might not want to pay for these services uh, only to use a single feature. So configuring push deploys is actually really easy with GitHub Actions and ta-da, it's free as well, mostly, right? I think you have a certain number of build minutes or something each or month. 2,000 minutes a month. It, yeah, it's 2,000 minutes yeah, a month. So, yeah, so if you think you're going to go over that, maybe it's not free, but for the most part, it's going to be free. So uh, this article assumes that you know how to configure web servers, and as such, it only guides you through the configuring of the continuous deployment part, not the actual web servers. So this tutorial goes through getting Git set up uh, and getting your server deployment script set up. It does not, I think, talk through 
trying to remember. There's a couple exceptions here. I've read through this a little bit previously. I think it doesn't compile your assets or something like that. Okay. And then there's one other thing it doesn't do. It doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't do one other thing. But it basically walks you through how you set up the server deployment script, uh, how you set up a local deployment script, how you do the GitHub action, and then how you run that on uh, push. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty interesting. Uh, if you don't use one of those services, or if you're looking to get out from the cost of one of those services, which if I'm being really fair here, I knew this existed and we've been using GitHub Actions for forever and I would still never dump Forge and Envoy. Like, yeah, <laughs> they save me way more time and frustration than this would be worth to set up mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. uh, in particular. But, you know, if you're on a really tight budget for your team or you're just a solo developer or whatever it might be, uh, this is a really nice option uh, for push to deploy. So you should definitely check this out. Thank you so much, Samuel Stancil, for putting this tutorial out there. Really appreciate it. Nice. nice job on this, by the way. It's, it's very comprehensive. You did a great job. Okay, packages. Talk to us about Time Travel PHP. Yes. Travel is a small PHP library by Rashid Lasri that wraps around carbon PHP to help you travel to a specific point in time and back in a simple and readable way. So if you've ever used carbon set test now, helper in your mm-hmm. test, uh, which I use all the time to fix myself Same. to a point in time and know that like one second from now will always be one second from now. I've been exactly, the amount yeah. of times that I've been bitten by something taking like 1.1 seconds or 1.6 seconds and then rounding to the next second has been a, it's been a, a tedious. So this allows you to use a simple facade based uh, access and it's basically just travel colon colon two and the specified date. And then if you want to travel in the past, you can go travel colon colon two minus five minutes and then you can travel colon colon back and go back to the original time in there. So the, the interface itself is very simple. Uh, and there's a number of different usage patterns that you've got, but it's it's simple and it's readable. Travel to and then whenever you want, and then it'll use carbon under the hood to parse when that is and give you and and basically run the set test now for you under the hood. But if you're wanting to run time sensitive code in a closure, you can go back to the current date after the closure executes and all that kind of stuff. So you can learn more about this package and get the full installation instructions and view the source code on GitHub. We will have links to all of that in the show notes. Definitely something that's going to be useful for you inside of your testing environments. I don't know how much time travel you'll be doing in your production code, but definitely in... Yeah, that might be a little bit weird, but... Definitely in your test environments, this will be a nice little utility helper if you need to do that kind of stuff. I think the thing I do like the most about this is so that little closure option where you can say travel to and then you pass the string for how far you want to travel Mm -hmm. back so like negative five minutes and then as soon as that closure is done running it basically sets the time back to now yeah i think that's pretty handy yeah so you can you know ingenious skip back five minutes or a day and and do some stuff as if that was now and then once that's finished you can then go back to where you are currently and and it will just keep running as though you're in the current time so that's really handy that is really handy i like that a lot nice job okay Next, we have a tall preset for Laravel. So tall stands for Tailwind CSS, Alpine, Laravel, and Livewire. So Alpine and Livewire are by our good friend Caleb Porzio. Tailwind CSS is by Adam uh, Wathen, of course. And then Laravel, yeah, by Taylor. We all know that. But there is a newly available front-end preset for Laravel that can get you up and running really quickly with that tall stack. Uh, so the stack was popularized by Matt Stauffer. He created a new site for this, actually, as Matt Stauffer does, tallstack.dev, uh, to promote its benefits and showcase novapackages.com, which was built with those tools specifically. So the preset takes all the pain of setting up a new application out of the way by providing some well-thought-out boilerplate. Here are the uh, notable features. So it has front-end assets like Tailwind, CSS, and Alpine set up already for you in Laravel Mix. 
Tailwind UI and Tailwind's custom forms extensions are available out of the box. Praise God. That's awesome. View extend, views extend a default layout. This is really nice, by the way. Like, I can't tell you how many times. Like, now, typically, these tools are very user-friendly to begin with, mm-hmm. right? Tailwind, Alpine, these are all very user-friendly. But it's navigating to three different sites and getting up, it's getting set up in three different ways, right? And yep. then you finally arrive at whatever. So this is where it removes, uh, even if you're just playing around, these presets really allow you a great starting point just to start with something that you can mess with. Yep. Even if you're not committing to it for a new Greenfield project, you just say like, is this something I could even use or get used to? And so you don't have to go through any of the configuration of setting it up, any of that. You just do this preset and boom, you're ready yeah. to go. Alpine, Tailwind, Livewire, right out of the box. So this is really, really helpful. So to install the preset, it's just a quick composer require. Uh, if you want authentication in your application, you just pass the auth flag. Auth, all the auth scaffolding comes as Livewire components and uh, also comes with full tests. So this is really, really nice. Mm-hmm. So it was put together by Dan Heron, Ryan Chandler, and Liam Hammett. Liam was the one who wrote the blog post. Thank you guys for putting that together. I think this is going to be really great. I'm I'm looking forward to using it. Oh, I'm going to be using it right after we jump off this call. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you you got a new project you're working on, or are you just playing around? Uh, well, I'm going to use it for then ping me because then I don't have to set all this stuff up manually. <laughs> oh, okay, sounds good, man. Hey, let's do that. All right, packages. We are on to PHP Callable Fake Library. Let's talk about that one. Callable Fake is a PHP testing utility by my good mate, Tim McDonald, that allows you to fake, capture, and assert against invocations of a callable or closure. In some cases, this package can assist in testing scenarios where you allow a developer to pass a callable. It has a Laravel fake-inspired API that looks something like, don't like it, I'm not going to write, I'm not going to read it, but it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. (laughs) And using the package, you can use something like the following instead. So essentially, instead of having to say, how how are we going to put this? Look, I'm not. That's a good question. I'm not going to do it. This is a very code-heavy topic. It's very code-heavy, yeah. But It's written by Tim McDonald, though, so you know it's good stuff. uh, Tim is very smart. I keep telling him that. And I'm glad there are people like him in in our community, (laughs) to be honest. Fellow Aussie. Fellow Aussie. uh, Good guy. Just comes up. He thinks about things in a different way. He he's got a very low tolerance to pain. Now, granted, coming to some of the conclusions that he comes to are are wild journeys, and I'm sure more pain than just dealing with whatever the original problem was, in my opinion. But when he gets to the end of it, and what he produces is always is always great. So, um, yeah, as I said, if you have ever needed to fake or capture and assert against invocations of a callable or closure in your tests. Uh, I won't read the examples because it's just not going to be possible. I can't make heads or tails of it to explain it. But the package provides assertions like assert called, assert not called, assert of invoked, and a few others. So be sure to check out the full list of available assertions in the project's readme for details and examples. And also there's some tips to speed up your PHP unit test, which we've talked about on previous episode of the podcast. So if you would like to learn more about this package, then my, I guess, BS explanation Get full installation instructions <laughs> and view the source code on GitHub at Tim McDonald. That's one M T I M A C D O N A L D slash callable dash fake. We will have links to a very useful blog post and more details in the show notes. Very nice. Very nice. Okay, we also have this package uh, which focuses on double entry accounting with a focus on IFRS compliant reporting. This sounds like something this you like, would know something about. 
You know what? Like, I actually don't know as much as I probably should. I think about a year ago, I had to write an app that was sort of like this. It wasn't as strict on the compliance side of things, but we really did need to have like comprehensive ledgers. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is actually focusing on a specific type of report, international financial reporting standards, compliant reporting. So what you actually get with this is you get a report that can be written out that follows these standards, which I'm sure is very helpful for people who would need that. Uh, I'm, I'm positive. There are people who have had to write this themselves and this is a package that basically does it for you. So the eloquent IFRS package gives any Laravel application or Lumen API, the ability to generate a comprehensive set of financial reports by providing an embeddable double entry bookkeeping system. So the accounting objects are created with a consistent and fluent interface, allowing seamless integrations with the business objects of the parent application. Basically, all that means is it works great with your eloquent models and it makes it really easy to do so with a fluent interface. That's what it means. So there's a high level example from the readme, which they uh, provide here, which I'm not going to do, but it does look very easy. And then there's an example of the income report, a profit and loss statement that is generated based on the records that those uh, updates to your models creates. So all of this comes from the readme. It's available in the repo, and you can definitely check that out in the show notes. Uh, Paul, Mr. Paul Redmond, everyone's favorite human, uh, finds this package unique because it's created by a finance guy turned developer. So this is a professional from another area who basically is learning Laravel to develop his ideas, right? So that's really, really cool. Glad to see that uh, it's able to be used in that way. So Edward Mungai. Thanks, Edward. All right. Last one we got here is about analytics. So talk to us about that. This is interesting because if you've had any of these problems with people blocking your analytics stuff, right? So you know, you have Ghostery turned on or you have uh, Adblock Pro turned on yeah. or any of those things, yeah. right? It, your, your Google Analytics just It just won't work. Recorded. That's right. So you can't send work. any of the client-side events. But Analytics Event Tracking is a Laravel package by Pascal Balliet to send Laravel events to Google Analytics from the server side easily. The package works by fetching the GA client ID on the client side via a Blade directive and sending it to the backend for storage in the user's session so later events have access to the client ID when sending info to Google Analytics. It integrates with Laravel's event system and you only need to implement the should broadcast analytics interface to send your events to GA. Uh, There is a good Hmm, example in the package author's write-up about the package which we'll have a link to in the show notes. Um, the package's main features include using Laravel events to track events, as I mentioned, a Blade directive to easily store the client ID so that you can get that out, as I mentioned, and full access to underlying PHP Google Analytics measurement protocol library. There is API calls to GAAR all queued, and it's easy to configure and compatible with both Laravel 6 and Laravel 7. You can check out the author's post, Tracking Events with Google Analytics and a new Laravel package for more details about the creation of the package, and you can learn more about it the full installation instructions and view the full source code on GitHub, which we will have links to for you in the show notes. This is really good for things that are that are kind of like not client side um, events. So if you were to say that a user had made a purchase or something, you would you might fire an event user purchased item in your application, and then if you were to implement the should broadcast analytics interface, you can basically get that to send an event to Google Analytics, and then you can track that purchase event within Google Analytics. So um, it's a nice way of consolidating all that kind of functionality that you wouldn't necessarily get access to on the client side over the benefit of obviously being able to do this even if the client has um, you know tracking things turned off through plugins in their browser and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I feel like there are two types of people who use Google Analytics. They're the people who, like me, copy and paste the code into the header and you never look at it again. Yep. And the only event that you ever get is page underscore visit. That's the <laughs> yeah. only event that you yeah. record in Google Analytics. But uh, if you're that person, you'll also notice that when you go into Google Analytics, you'll notice that there's this tab called goals mm-hmm. and you'll notice it's always like blank. There's nothing ever there. Right. And the reason why is because you can define goals in Google Analytics and say, look for these certain events and you want this many of your visitors to actually convert. And what does a conversion look like? Mm-hmm. And how do you actually track that stuff? Well, these these events is how you track those things. Yeah. Now, you can typically or I guess traditionally, maybe you could track those through the client side. And using the JavaScript library, you could then trigger off those events to go over to Google Analytics uh, through the front end. But as we're talking about and discussing here, that doesn't always work because people are blocking these more and more now. So if I feel like any significant event that you're going to do is also going to be doing something on the server side anyway. You know what I mean? Like I can't imagine that anything that I want to track as far as a goal wouldn't also have something to do with my backend code. So I think this is a really nice option. Mm And like you said, it kind of like contains the logic to send those events all in one place. So instead of having it like in the front end, and then you're also doing something in the back end, all you do is you just put this little implements should broadcast to analytics on there and you're, you're golden. It's all set. Yep. Really nice. Nice job. Okay. Well, hey, man, I think that wraps it for us. That is that is all of the things that we have this week. It actually was a shorter one. Than I thought. <laughs> There's only 38 minutes. Don't drag it out. Wrap it up. I know. And so... And so now, well, here's what I got to do now, man. I got to go. So it's like midnight, but I got to go check on the pool now because we're opening it. So I got to go make sure that all the chemicals are good and all that stuff. Pools and closed. Then and then I'm going to go to bed. Mother is. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I promise. All right. Thanks so much for listening to episode 119 for hanging out with us a little bit. We appreciate you taking the time to do so. Uh, if you would like to leave us a five-star rating in your podcatcher of choice, that would be very appreciated. We would love that. And if you want to talk to us, hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at Laravel News. And of course, you can find show notes for this episode at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 119. That's all from me, folks. Stay safe. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend if you're li- listening to this from the U.S. Is it Memorial Day? I think it's Memorial Day weekend. That's what it is. I think it is. I should know this, right? Hold on. Let me double check. It's your long weekend. You tell me. Dude, I don't know. I literally didn't even know it was a long weekend until Friday. Who would have rocked like, up at work? Yes. It's it's Memorial Day weekend. I should know that, but I do. Here it is. It's Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. See ya. Bye.